Hello, welcome back. I'm your host, Evan Brand. If you're new to the show, I'm a board-certified holistic nutritionist, a certified functional medicine practitioner, and a nutritional therapy practitioner, and I run a virtual wellness clinic around the world. I help people as far as Kuwait now, and also Singapore. Had two new clients from Kuwait and Singapore this week, so that was really fun and just makes me love the internet and the ability for me to send lab tests across the planet to help people. If you want to schedule a 15-minute free call with me, you can go to my website, evanbrand.com. Then also up in the top right of my menu bar, you'll see my new store, my new supplement line, Aura Roots. So if you just click on store, you can check everything out. Everything is ranging from 10 to 20% off right now. Got a lot of new products that you likely have not seen elsewhere, including the Calm Clarity, which is the magnesium 3 and 8. And then also I'm carrying a new line called Mio Energetics Brain Oils. At first, I thought they were just overpriced essential oils, but now that I've started to learn more about the research and I've tested the heart rate variability monitor on myself while using this new supplement called Vagal Tone, as well as the Anxiety Release Oils, it works. So you can go check that stuff out. I've got it on the clinic's door now, Aura Roots, so that's A-U-R-A, roots.com, and that is discounted from the retail price. So check that out. Support the mission, and now we're going to get into the show with Miss Elisa Song. She's a medical doctor who focuses primarily on pediatric health, but even if you do not have children, this episode will still blow your socks off. A quick word from our sponsor, Kettle and Fire, the provider of organic bone broth that is shelf-stable. They provide bone broth for myself, my family, and many of you all listening. I'm sure you've heard it. If you've not, then you can go get 20% off by going to my special link, evanbrand.com slash chicken. That'll take you to the chicken. That's pasture-raised organic chicken bones. And then you can go to evanbrand.com slash broth. That's the other link. And you'll be able to check out the beef. They're both good. I like them both. The chicken's better. So you can check those out. Why bone broth? Well, because... There's a lot of different trace minerals, and the composition of bone broth is different than just buying, say, an L-glutamine supplement. Yes, does glutamine help? Totally. I use it all the time in the clinic for post-infection support, but bone broth is unique in the sense that you're not really wasting your money on it if you're using it while you still have infections. If you have infections in the gut and you're taking a bunch of leaky gut supplements, but you've not removed the thing causing the infection, you're kind of spinning your wheels. So if you're taking a bunch of supplements for the gut, but you've not removed the infections first, well, maybe you just do the bone broth instead right now, and you try to work on healing up the gut that way while you're still treating infections. All right, I'm just rambling at this point. Check out my store, AuraRoots.com, for those brain oils while they're still on sale, and let's get into the show. Here we go. Holistic Mama Doc, Dr. Elisa Song, medical doctor. She is a holistic pediatrician, a pediatric functional medicine expert, and mama to two crazy fun kids, and her integrative pediatric practice whole family wellness she's helped thousands of kids get to the root cause of their health concerns and help parents understand how to help their children thrive body mind and spirit by integrating conventional pediatrics with functional medicine homeopathy acupuncture herbal medicine and essential oils health concerns have ranged from frequent colds ear infections asthma and eczema to autism adhd anxiety depression and autoimmune illness dr song is the host of the thriving child summit a life-changing event for every parent to learn how to help their children thrive. Dr. Song created Healthy Kids, Happy Kids to share her advice and adventures as a holistic pediatrician and mama. And everyone can have their own virtual holistic pediatrician. You can follow her, her website, healthykidshappykids.com, and then also on Facebook. And I know she's got other places that you can stalk her as well. Dr. Song, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thanks, Evan. I'm really delighted to be here and honored to be on the show with you. Yes, ma'am. Well, so let's talk about PANDAS. What is this? I've seen this acronym on the web, and I'm just not as familiar as I should be with PANDAS when it con concerns to health. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, I see quite a bit of PANDAS and PANS in my practice. So PANDAS stands for Pediatric Autoimmune 
uh, encef- uh, sorry, pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with strep. Now, it's a subset of something we call PANS, which is Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. And this is an autoimmune encephalitis. So this is a brain inflammation that's an autoimmune condition where uh, the triggers can be infections like strep. If it's a strep infection, then we call it PANDAS. Uh, there can be many other infections, which is why we now broaden the term to PANS. Uh, and then even toxins like heavy metals or molds can be triggers. The other infections might be Lyme, um, herpes 1 and 2, herpes 6, which is the roseola virus, a very common childhood virus, um, the Epstein-Barr virus, which of course causes chronic fatigue in teenagers and adults, mycoplasma pneumonia, Coxsackie, which is a hand, foot, and mouth virus, um, and lots of different infections. So essentially what happens is kids will um, get an infection, and it might be a sudden onset or a little bit more gradual, but but typically what parents report is something is different with their child. They start developing tantrums, rages, OCD behaviors, sometimes tics, bedwetting when they've been dry for years, um, regressions in their handwriting, uh, memory problems, brain fog. And we can trace it back then sometimes to a sudden strep infection, whether it's on the skin or in the throat or even in the belly. And sometimes it's not clear at all what the trigger is. And we have to do a little more digging and do a little more functional medicine testing. Now, the good thing to know with PANDAS is that we have a ton of options in our functional medicine and integrative pediatric toolkit to really help these kids. But um, bottom line, I mean, these kids' brains are on fire and we really, really wanna make sure that we get the fire down, keep the fire down and really help them thrive um, because it can be a devastating illness. So I know that the conventional treatment is probably antibiotics for something Mm -hmm. like this. Is that right? It is, it is. And you know, I guess I should say, um, to back up, there's there's really not a quote conventional treatment because uh, you know even uh, now where there's so much pandas and pans and Discover magazine actually in their I believe it was their May uh, edition pandas was on the cover. Um, so it's getting more and more widely recognized, but not enough, um, even among pediatricians. And so the conventional treatment is still a bit outside the box for most mainstream pediatricians. But yes, you're right. The first thing to know, uh, really figure out is what exactly you're treating. You know, what are the bug or bugs or toxins that have really caused this kid to um, deteriorate and develop this autoimmune condition, and then we want to treat those. And those can include antibiotics, um, whether they're herbal or pharmaceutical, um, and anti-inflammatories, again, whether they're pharmaceutical or um, or you know supplements, uh, nutritional. Um, we need to really help to figure out how to get this fire down. So let me get this straight. You're saying that many pediatricians, they don't even have a clue about this health issue in the first place, so therefore they can't successfully treat it because they don't know what they're up against. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Unfortunately, I think the word is getting out. More pediatricians are more aware. Um, But I think this goes for really any practitioner who's working with kids or families. Um, I don't think the awareness is out there enough. And so if you have a child who all of a sudden is, you know, just much more anxious, having a lot more separation anxiety, fears of going upstairs by themselves, um, unable to sleep, or waking up multiple times at night and having school problems. Of course, you want to rule out things going on socially. Are they being bullied? You know, are you know, is there something going on at school or with their friends? But you also have to dig deeper because many, many times there is an inflammatory, infectious component. Um, and so this is going to be um, your pediatricians, your family practice docs, your chiropractors, your acupuncturists, anyone who comes into contact with kids. You just want to be aware that this could be a possibility. Um, and not just look at strep. I think pandas is a little more uh, well-known than this idea of pans. Um, and so if you have, you can check your strep antibody levels. There are specific strep titers that you can check, um, an ASO strep antibody and also an anti-DNAB strep antibody. But if those are negative, you don't want to stop there. You want to check all of the titers, your IgG and IgM antibodies for the different infections that I mentioned before. Um, and of course, Lyme is so controversial, um, but I see many, many kids who have Lyme or other tick-borne infections that are really the triggers for their pan symptoms. Okay, now these checking for these ticks or checking for these different infections, are, are you talking about blood primarily? Yes, primarily blood. Okay, um, the titers, yes. I mean, not the ticks, the titers. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. So okay. the antibody titers will be blood. Um, and there is another, there's a panel called the Cunningham panel uh, that is available through a lab called Molecular because as I mentioned, sometimes it's not infections that are the trigger, sometimes it's toxins. And we'll check, you know, a whole slew of antibody titers and nothing comes up, but we're still highly suspicious of PANS because this kid is just not the same as they were a month ago or a year ago. Um, and the Cunningham panel checks for various autoimmune antibodies in the brain and also an enzyme that, that signals increased um, uh, sort of erratic activity in the brain. Okay, what other types of lab tests are you running? Like if you get someone in, are you going to be pretty broad spectrum and comprehensive in your, in your labs up front, or does it just depend on symptoms? Like, are you basically going to say, I'm always going to run test XYZ on, on a, on a new kid that comes in? You know, I, I do have a fairly, you know, I hate to call it a, a protocol because each kid is so unique and you really want to get their story and figure out what the tipping points were for that child. Um, but for the most part, every kid that comes in, I do start with a comprehensive stool analysis through whatever functional lab that you might be using already. Um, because for the kids with pandas in particular, they may be harboring strep as what's considered a non-pathogenic bacteria in their gut, but that's what's triggering the inflammation. Um, we also know that with any um, immune, autoimmune phenomena, gut dysbiosis and gut dysregulation plays a huge role. So I want to make sure that that gut is pristine. Of course, you know, in functional medicine, we start with the gut. So we, we still start with the gut in this case um, to really clean up as much as we can any dysbiosis, any parasites or yeast or abnormal bugs that are there, help, you know, Dan regulate any inflammation that's going on. Looking for food sensitivities is key because whatever is going on with this child, I want to get rid of any inflammatory trigger. And that can include the foods they're eating. Of course, you know, we think about the common ones like gluten and dairy and sugar, but I've had kids that were highly reactive to quinoa, you know, because they were already gluten-free, but they're now they're eating quinoa every day. Yeah. Um, so whatever the inflammatory triggers are. Um, and then I do really like to do a urine organic acid test. I know these add on costs, you know, to that initial visit. Um, but there can be some signs in that urine organic test that there may be some nutrient insufficiencies. Um, also, there's a measure called quinolinic acid that can give you an indication that there is some neurologic inflammation going on. And then I do want to dig deeper into the pants testing if there is an elevated quinolinic acid. Um, and of course, those are also going to give you really good indications of how well that child's mitochondria and methylation systems are working. Um, you know, many kids with pants and pandas start off with mitochondrial and methylation dysfunction, which then gets further stressed by their chronic inflammation and infection. So we need to really balance that out in order to get them the best chance to heal. Totally. Well, you're speaking my language. People are going to be smiling <laughs> ear to ear because I talk about organic acid testing probably every week. So that's exciting. Now, in terms of gut bugs, what are you seeing most common? Are there particular infections in general that you're seeing commonly with kids? I've seen quite a few kids. I don't see as many children as you. Um, I'm primarily working with adults, but I have worked with many, many kids, uh, you know, of the, I've worked with many children of the parents that I'm working with and they say, Hey, mm -hmm. you know what? I, I might as well go ahead and check my daughter. So we'll run some That's stool right. tests and then all of a sudden now we're working on the, the kids too. And I'm finding many, many infections, but are there, are there common ones that you see? Well, as it pertains to autoimmune phenomena, Klebsiella and Citrobacter are big culprits, yeah. right? Those We know that those are associated with autoimmune phenomena, whether it's PANS or PANDAS, or I unfortunately see quite a few kids with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis or really? Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. um, I know, right? You know, this and inf inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, I see also, you know, not uncommonly in the practice. Um, so those are going to be two of the more common bugs. I did mention the strep species that for the kids with pandas are a problem. Um, of course, there's going to be yeast. And sometimes, as you know, yeast doesn't 
always grow in culture. So, you know, for yeast, I often um, sort of corroborate my suspicions, right? Clinically, if there's sugar, you know, having sugar cravings or brain fog or, you know, mood swings or just insulin sensitivity issues. Um, I look also at the urine organic acid test because we have a lot of great yeast markers there. So if there's no yeast growing in culture in their stool, but their urine organic acids tests show, you know, a, a really high arabinose or citromalic acid, then I treat for yeast as well. Um, parasites are tricky. A lot of kids have parasites. And of course, parasites are really hard to detect because it requires that particular poop sample to have an egg or a worm in it that that particular lab technician can identify. <laughs> so sometimes it can take 20, 30 stool samples to identify a parasite. Um, now, of course, we have more PCR testing to assist us. Um, but, you know, some of the clues for parasites in kids, I ask parents to really pay attention to whether or not their symptoms are cyclical, um, oftentimes correlating with the moon phase, which sounds really, really weird <laughs> when you first tell parents to, you know, follow the moon. Uh, but, you know, whether it's the full moon or the new moon, a lot of kids during that time will have little behavioral regressions, more tantrums, difficulty sleeping. And so if there is this cyclical pattern, then I might just go ahead and do a parasite cleanse regardless of what the tests show. Yeah, I find the same thing in both counts of the parasites being tough to find and then the yeast, too. I tell people all the time, look, if I email you your stool test result first, don't get happy if you don't see yeast because it's probably going to show up on the organic acids afterwards. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're that's finding right. the same thing. Not that that many people are infected. Of course, that's, that's no fun, but I'm glad that I'm not alone in the sense that I look at a stool test and nine times out of 10, it's negative for yeast. But then you look on the organics and nine times out of 10, it's positive over there. So it's just a, that's right. a, a crazy thing. Now, I know you wanted to mention the increase in chronic illness. So can you give us a little bit of backstory on this? I know we jumped right into the nitty gritty. What's the backstory <laughs> about the increase of chronic illness in our kids? What's what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I love that you um, use the word backstory because when we have a patient, let's say with, um, you know, Crohn's disease and we know it was triggered by that, you know, flu, stomach flu that they had, and we look and there might be some clubs down in their gut, or a kid with pandas who has a strep throat, and then literally that the next day they're having rages and they can't stand the sound of their mother swallowing. Um, so then we have that trigger, right? But the trigger is just the trigger. It's the straw that broke the camel's back. And there's a huge backstory um, when we see kids with chronic illnesses and autoimmune disease. And the number is skyrocketing. It's it's actually mind mind blowing to me that nowadays our kids are expected to have shorter lifespans than we are. This is the first time in history where our kids are not going to live as long as we are, and that's just unacceptable. Um, you know, and, and so the the backstory really starts, I think sort of preconception and in utero, we have to really get our moms healthy before they try to get pregnant and get our dads healthy before they try to get pregnant, um, really helping their gut microbiome and helping their inflammation. And for mothers, really assessing their adrenal status, right? Adrenal fatigue is, is really a, um, a huge problem in taxing that fetus's adrenal glands if the mom herself is completely adrenal fatigued. Um, and then we have these kids coming out already in a fight or flight mode, these babies, right, um, who can't settle down and can't feed because they're so stressed already from a physiologic perspective. Um, so, you know, one of the really the biggest underlying reasons for autoimmunity and chronic disease in our kids is this, is this rampant gut dysbiosis that starts at birth. Um, Again, going back to the mom's microbiome, not to have any mom go back and think, what did I do? What should I have done differently? Um, you know, it is what it is. And we move forward with hope and, and we just kind of keep, um, you know, helping our kids thrive and, and taking it step by step. Um, but if, if that mom's gut was disrupted during pregnancy, we know that those probiotics can be transmitted through the placenta, um, through the vaginal canal. And so babies were born by C-section. Um, if, if moms were given antibiotics at birth for group B strep, um, if babies were bottle fed instead of breastfed, if they were given Zantac, you know, at two weeks of age because they're, quote, colicky and might have reflux, right? All of those things set the stage for 
a disrupted gut microbiome from birth. And we know that the gut microbiome after two years of age, right? This is, they're still infants, they're still toddlers. After two years of age is very, very difficult to treat and to balance, which is why as adults, if we have problems with chronic yeast overgrowth or parasites, it, it, we're on this never-ending wheel of really constantly trying to get our gut back into balance. Wait, let me pause, um, let me pause you there. So you're saying if the, if the gut is disrupted and you hit the two-year-old mark, you're saying it becomes much more difficult to fix as compared to if you were younger than two years old? Is that... Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Why? And, um, you know, at two years of age, the gut microbiome is, is pretty much, it looks like your adult microbiome, which is why we switch from infant probiotics to adult probiotics at two. Really? I mean, once everyone in the, once everyone in the household is over two, I just have the family use the same probiotic for everyone. Um, you know, why is that? It probably has to do with immune um, maturation and gut maturation, but uh, you know, it, it's it's a sad truth. And so we have this golden opportunity before they're two to really get um, a, a regulated gut, a really healthy gut microbiome that sets the stage for optimal health throughout their lifetime. Um, but before kids are two, look at what we're doing to them, right? We're we're feeding them artificial you know, foods with dyes and preservatives and, you know, artificial flavorings. Um, we're giving them so much sugar nowadays. We're giving them too many antibiotics. Um, we're, we're exposing them to pesticides. You know, glyphosate is a huge problem. Um, they're being exposed to heavy metals in our water and in their food, um, and, you know, in the animals that they're eating, in the fish. Uh, and of course, all of these infections that they're exposed to, I don't think that there are more bugs around. I think that our immune system's ability and our gut's ability to handle these infections in an appropriate manner has changed. Um, so our, our American lifestyle is contributing to really um, imbalancing our kids' gut microbiome and their immune systems. I mean, not to mention the, the EMFs that they're exposed to um, from in utero, you know, what mom is not on their cell phone at least half of the day, yep. right? I mean, as a necessity, unfortunately, for many of us, but, you know, kids are from the moment they're born often, um, you know, sitting right next to mom or nursing while mom is on her iPhone, you know, texting or catching up on the latest emails because that's the only time she has to really relax. So I get it. But, you know, all these things that, that um, we are sort of doing to our kids and with our kids as a society and as a family and not not paying attention to, um, they're all going into that backstory of why our kids are so sick nowadays. Well, so I'm glad you brought up EMF. Let's address the other elephant in the room, vaccinations. How many yep. of the kids that come to you with these issues, whether it's pandas, pans, or other chronic or difficult health issues, what percentage of these kids have issues that are either trying to get through their full vaccination schedule or things have happened as a result of those? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it is um, a huge elephant in the room. And it's and it's a topic that really, I think, as an integrative pediatrician or anyone working with kids, you can't ignore. And it's not a black or white um, matter, which I think, you know, once as soon as you mention the word vaccine, it's this emotional, it's this kind of visceral response, yeah. right? I mean, it, it just, it polarizes people like nothing else except for maybe Lyme disease, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's this huge emotional response. And I think on either quote side, um, we, we have sort of this lack of attention to um, reason and individuality for the patient. And I tell parents who come in here, and, and I will say probably... Um, the number one reason why parents choose our practice for well visits, right, because I do see quite a number of kids whose parents really want a more holistic natural approach to their kids as they're growing up um, a, as a primary care pediatrician. Um, but the number one reason is because we are open to um, vaccine discussions and flexible vaccine schedules. I will say we, have, we don't have many patients, who, families who have had zero vaccines, but we certainly have very few parents who have had the full schedule. And I like to sit down with parents and, and come up with um, really a, a good idea of what risks that child has for actually contracting these illnesses, many of which we don't see anymore, and you know what that child's risk is for having serious adverse reactions 
to those vaccines. And, and really come up, coming up with a plan that if parents are going to do any vaccines, we fully support them. The kids who have had trouble with vaccinations, and I've, I have had some who have clearly regressed um, in, you know, and developed autism or um, sensory issues after vaccines. I have kids who after a live flu vaccine have developed um, acute demyelinating encephalomyelitis and gone on to have multiple sclerosis. Um, on the flip side, I've had kids who, um, you know, have died from pneumococcal meningitis, but that that was a long time ago, right? I don't really see that anymore. Um, so there has to be this balance, but the kids who have been found to really have been harmed by vaccines are kids who have that underlying methylation and mitochondrial stress. Again, going back to those kids who are more susceptible to autoimmune illness, yeah. right? And we know that vaccines can trigger autoimmunity. There's a condition called Asia, like Asia, A-S-I-A, it uh, stands for autoimmune, let's see, I don't want to get this wrong, um, autoimmune syndrome induced by adjuvants. So it's the stuff, right, the crap we put in our vaccines, like aluminum, that can trigger autoimmune reactions in susceptible kids and adults. And this is a known phenomena. It is in the literature. The problem is most medical doctors have no idea. They've never heard about this. They think that it's from, quote, the other side, saying that autoimmunity can be induced by vaccines. And this is where we can't then have an open discussion with, um, you know, with physicians and parents if physicians aren't well informed about some of the potential risks because vaccines are not risk-free. Um, so anyhow, that's a, a, a long way to get around um, the fact that if, if you are going to consider vaccines for your child, please do it um, not out of fear. Don't, don't ever base your decision um, out of fear one way or the other to not vaccinate or to vaccinate. You want to have good information and you want to sit there, you know, really take that emotional piece as far out as you can and look at the data. And we know that some kids can get vaccines safely, right? Just like some kids can live this apparent, you know, American life, <laughs> you know, without any problems. Um, and other kids will be susceptible. And we can look at family history for that. Is there a family history of autoimmunity, Hashimoto's, um, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus? Is there a family history of neurodevelopmental or neuropsychiatric disorders like autism, Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety? You know, is there a family history of blood clotting disorders, infertility, um, early heart disease, which would point to methylation issues? Um, and if there is, or if in that child, they have signs of mitochondrial dysfunction already, which would be low muscle tone, poor suck um, for those older kids who are sitting. And, you know, if you look at like your daughter right now, um, you probably have noticed what amazing posture she has, right? Her back is so straight and she doesn't hunch over. And, you know, kids, when they're little as toddlers, shouldn't be slumped over. They should sit with their core nice and strong, with their back nice and straight and erect. Um, so the kids who are sitting slumped over or, you know, can't sit crisscross applesauce and instead sit in what's called a W position where they're um, on their bottom and they're feet are kind of splayed out to the side of them. Those are all signs of, of what we would consider lower tone than typical and point to having some mitochondrial issues, not necessarily mito mitochondrial disorder, but mitochondrial issues. And so for those kids, you know, are vaccines completely out? No, but you want to give them the methylation supports like methyl B12 and methylfolate and the mitochondrial supports like CoQ10. So lots of considerations. And, you know, I really feel for those parents who don't have um, an integrative holistic minded pediatrician who can guide them through this process because it is one of the toughest decisions you will ever have to make as a parent. Um, you know, and I have two kids myself and it really, really was one of the toughest decisions I had to make for my kids. And, you know, parents ask me, well, what did I do? And I tell them, look, it doesn't really matter what I did because my family history and how my child is developing is completely different than your family history. And we really need to take this um, on an individualized basis. There's no set protocol that I use. I do not have an alternative vaccination schedule. I have an individualized schedule for each kid. Well said. Yeah, my friend, Dr. Jack Wolfson, he's been on the show. He did a documentary about vaccines and he, uh, he said that his son ended up with pertussis. He didn't vaccinate any of his kids. His son ended up with pertussis, and he was able to beat it naturally, and he got through it. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And then you, That's ha right. you had an article on your website about measles and probably inspired by that whole outbreak that we heard about. 
at Disneyland where all these <laughs> cases of measles happened, and then you wrote an article about how if you are exposed or you think you've been exposed to measles, you mentioned nasal irrigation with the the Exlear, or I believe that's mm-hmm. like a, is that a xylitol? Nasal it is. Spray? It's a xylitol nasal spray. It actually has a little bit of grapefruit seed extract too, which is a great antimicrobial. And you said it, the, the measles virus was easily inactivated just by using that saline spray after exposure. Yeah. You know, the, the X-Clear, I love, I love, love, love X-Clear. And that's something that I will recommend to families. I mean, regardless of what potential exposure is going on after birthday parties, after flying on an airplane, just clear your nose because many of these upper respiratory infections will start to um, multiply in your nasal passages before you develop symptoms, you know, like a day or two before. Uh-huh. So if you can flush them out before um, before they can actually colonize and take hold, you can prevent yourself from having any symptoms and getting sick at all, which is why I think in many cultures like the Ayurvedic tradition, neti pot daily um, is is a you know is a practice that really can help keep you healthy. So let me get this straight. You were saying basically, if you let's say you went to Disneyland and you were concerned, you'd come home and you do the nasal spray. Yep. Yeah, if, and if you can if you can get your kids to do an irrigation, there are lots of different ways to do it, like a, the Neomed sinus rinse, um, or um, I mean, kids. Some young kids can learn to use a neti pot, um, but you want to flush away all that stuff, you know, because it's not just um, it's not just cold bugs. It can be any bug that you're exposed to, and your nose is one of your first roots of exposure. Of course, your mouth too. So you want to keep your kids' hands away from their mouth, <laughs> you know, as much as possible. Um, but yes, I mean, I just came back from the IFM conference uh, last night. And the first thing I did was go and blow my nose after the airplane, right? I put the X clear up and I blow my nose because, you know, every time you fly, right, the next day, your throat's going to start to hurt or you just feel a little bit under the weather because of all of that recirculated air with who knows, you know, what illnesses were floating around. So you feel pretty good today then, despite flying yesterday. I do feel pretty good. Yep. Oh, that's great. Now, um, let me ask you about the, the methylation support. So if we're going to do like an MTHFR uh, support, mm-hmm. the methylfolates, your methyl B12s, are you cutting the dose in thirds, for example? I mean, let's say we took like a, thi- a thousand um, micrograms of B12. Are we going to, are you going to third that for kids or, or how do you yeah. dose kids? So that's a really, really good question because for, um, you know, when I started practicing uh, pediatric functional medicine, this is now, oh gosh, probably 12, 13 years ago, um, there were really no guidelines on pediatric dosage. And unfortunately, there still really are very little um, in the way of guidelines for pediatric dosage. So yeah, you know, the typical way to do it is take your, um, quote, standard adult dosage. And um, what I do is I kind of take a look at the weight of the child, right, because you have some three-year-olds who are quite hefty and then, you know, some three-year-olds who are, are very petite. Um, and I, and I do a, you know, modified percentage of that adult dose to give to that child. Um, of course, finding supplements that are, you know, palatable for kids or finding ways to give supplements to kids who might have sensory issues or, um, you know, feeding challenges can be tough, but there are are lots of different ways and tricks that you can get supplements into kids. Um, but that is a good general rule of thumb. You just take a look at the kid, um, get their weight, approximate um, sort of what percentage of a standard, you know, 150 pound adult weight uh, they are. And then you take that percentage of the supplement. So for example, like Designs for Health, they've got the L5 MTHF uh, methyl tetrahydrofolate. It's Let's see, it's a thousand micrograms and it's a capsule. Mm-hmm. So maybe yep. you pour out two thirds and maybe you maybe you give them one third of the capsule then? That's right. That's right. Um, and then, you know, parents can save the rest of the capsule, right, for the subsequent days. Um, the other thing, too, though, is, I, you know, I don't have really any concerns about toxicity with the B vitamins because they're water soluble. So if they get a little extra, that's not a big deal. Um, so, you know, and my kids right now, what I ha- will have them chew. Um, gosh, I think it's Prothera. They have an active B12 folate, which has a milligram of the methylated B12 and um, I think a milligram of the methylated folate. What's that again? And, yeah, it's called active B12 dash folate, um, and it's a it's a little chewable. It's delicious, and so I don't worry about cutting that in half. I just give it to my kids. My kids are seven and five, um, and they take that periodically. Is that the Prothera or is that the Da Vinci? 
It's uh, Prothera. Okay. At least the one that we that we carry is a Prothera brand. I see it. Cool. Okay. So you mentioned probiotics. So if we're talking about an optimal toddler or young kid protocol, would this include just preventatively and just proactively a methylated uh, folate and a methylated B12 as well as probiotics? You know, I uh, probiotics are absolutely sort of the fundamentals. I add on methylation support before vaccines or if I have concerns of, you know, a family history of methylation issues. Um, if not, I mean, my family history, knock on wood, is pretty healthy. But I do give the kids, you know, if they've, gotten, if they've been sick, I give the kids a little B12 folate just to really kind of boost them back up. Um, I would say the fundamentals for me for a child who's coming in who's healthy and really no other health concerns, uh, I would give them a really good probiotic. Um, and omega-3 essential fatty acid, right, a fish oil, and vitamin D. I mean, those are my three go-tos that I really like to see all kids on. And then you sort of layer in the different supplements as needed. Many, many, many kids need extra zinc and magnesium, as I'm, you know, as do many adults. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and of course, methylation supports. Um, and, you know, if kids have had, if they come to me and they've been ill for a while and they're having a hard time recovering, then I'll throw in some CoQ10 to really help support their mitochondria for that um, cellular energy recovery. Love it. So for right now, my wife, she's taking extra vitamin D herself, and then we're assuming that we're going to get the transfer through the breast milk. So I guess once baby's not breastfeeding anymore, then at that time you would suggest starting the vitamin D for her. That's right. But you know what? For moms who are nursing and when they're pregnant, I, I really urge them to check their vitamin D levels and to not just accept that, oh, quote, they're in the normal range, um, to ask for what that level is. Because yeah. many women go into pregnancy uh, and into breastfeeding with insufficient levels. And if their levels are low, they're not going to be able to really transfer adequate amounts of vitamin D, which is one of the reasons why the American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended that all breastfed babies not formula-fed babies, but breastfed babies get supplemented with vitamin D3, 400 IUs daily, which doesn't make sense. Breast milk should have everything that that baby needs. However, if the mom is not nutritionally optimized, then it might not. And so really making sure that that mom has a vitamin D level, a 25-hydroxy vitamin D level of at least 60 to 80. And then once you're done nursing, check that again. Because, I, you know, you get so depleted as a mama when you're nursing. And it can be shocking how much has been taken from you, <laughs> literally. And, you know, when I was trying for our second child, um, after I, I had, after Kenzie had weaned, um, I just thought, well, let me prepare my body again. Let's just check my vitamin D level. I had been supplementing daily with 5,000 IUs. I was shocked. My vitamin D level was 17 Dang. I, I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> but I think, you know, I've been nursing Kenzie. Um, I had been working full time. Um, of course, all the stress that goes with that. And I think my body was just completely, completely depleted. So mamas need to take care of themselves while they're nursing. And, you know, if they're if they're going back to work, really important. Um, your baby is really, really good at taking everything that she or he needs, right? From the, you know, from the placenta and from breast milk. And that's going to be at the, uh, I, I guess you would say, at the expense of the mom, right? Our, ba yeah. our bodies are so good at preserving our baby's health. Um, and so a lot of times moms don't realize how depleted they're getting, <laughs> you know, during this whole process. So it sounds like, and this is kind of the conclusion I've come up with, is that you would want to be closer to maybe eight or 10,000 IU. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yep, exactly. And I would say most moms, if they haven't gotten their levels checked, you can presume that you probably need more than you're actually getting right. <laughs> yeah, certainly than you're getting in your prenatal which i think probably only has about 400 or 800 i use in it if you know even even a really good prenatal um so so yes you know that would be really key because we know that vitamin d deficiencies um during pregnancy has been linked with higher risks for things like autism and other chronic illnesses um you know even maternal use of, of antibiotics uh, we know, and Zantac, right, uh, antacid medications uh, can be linked with higher risks of asthma and eczema and the whole class of atopic illness, which we're seeing much more of in kids. So, you know, moms should also for sure be taking probiotics during the pregnancy and, and for the duration.
duration of nursing. So you say, so you say without a question, regardless of what's going on with, with mom's microbiome, regardless of breastfeeding, et cetera, you would still say the baby should be on a probiotic. Uh, you know, yes. Okay. There's so many influences once that baby is out as well. Now, um, I mean, babies nowadays are getting antibiotics at well under a year of age. And that has clearly been correlated with an increased risk for asthma um, later on. And so, you know, this is where I'm so glad you mentioned that Dr. Wolfson's child was able to get over their whooping cough. You know, some, I mean, it can, it can be a long course, but there are so many natural medicines, right, to really help your bodies heal without using antibiotics and without um, disrupting the gut to such a degree that antibiotics do. And antibiotics, many of them are also mitotoxic, right? They actually stun our mitochondria. Uh, and so that furthers the damage that it does at a cell, that the antibiotics do at a cellular level. That's not good. So, no. well, let's chat about the massive things that happen to kids. I mean, there's so many common things, whether it's ear infections, whether it's um, these random skin issues that pop up. I mean, how much of this stuff can you really just wait out? I mean, I know this is going to be an impossible question for you to answer because it's like, Evan, this could be, <laughs> this could be, there's so many things. I can't give generalities here, but I'm going to ask you for generalities anyway. How many things <laughs> how many things can you really handle on your own? Like I mean for let's say a fever. Let's say you've got a fever and you've got let's say you've got some some loose stool with a baby. I mean how often are you really going to need to implement some massive change in protocol as opposed to just letting the body run its course? So that is a great question because I think also even as we move into a more holistic integrated pediatric toolkit that um, really only uses pharmaceuticals when absolutely necessary, um, many of us still um, really use that same sort of conventional model of you need to fight what's going on in the body and you instead of throwing antibiotics at it, you throw um, herbs or, you know, nutritional supplements or homeopathic medicines at it. Um, you know, the, the nice thing about these natural medicines though, is they do actually, many of them work with the body's natural healing capacity. And so, you know, with, for instance, homeopathy, I am a huge fan of homeopathy. I teach clinical homeopathy to other physicians because there is so much evidence on its effectiveness and it's so safe and gentle, even for pregnant women and nursing women and for infants. Um, but with the idea behind homeopathic medicines is that you really um, kickstart the body into moving back in that natural direction of healing that it wants to take. So you don't have to take a homeopathic medicine for, medicine for seven to 10 days. That's the same thing with acupuncture. You know, I, I teach parents how to use various acupressure points and use essential oils to activate those points. So that again, we're just kind of giving the body a gentle nudge so that it can really do what it's trying to do. Um, and so for things like fever, stomach flu, um, cold, um, yes, we can sit and wait and watch and we don't necessarily have to do anything. But I found if we start at the very beginning, right, right at the start of that cold where your child is looking a little bit glassy eyed and you know something's going to happen by the nighttime, <laughs> you know, that they might have a little fever or a little runny nose. Um, if you can jump on it then to give that body a nudge back, then you can kick that thing in a day or two. Right, without suppressing symptoms. That's the issue with pharmaceuticals is, you know, pharmaceuticals, our conventional medicine, model of medicine, suppresses symptoms, fights the body, right? Natural medicines, the goal is not to fight the body, but to work with the body. Uh, and so I typically do use uh, various natural medicines. I in incorporate them. You know, have I, can I say that I haven't used any antibiotics, you know, prescribed any in the past 12 years of my practice? No, but I mean, the number of times that I have had to prescribe antibiotics for ear infections in the past, you know, decade, I could probably count on, you know, the fingers of both hands, right? And, and 
really and truly uh, ear infections are the number one reason the antibiotics are prescribed for kids. And we know that many of them are unnecessary. So that's why I love really teaching parents how to use this, you know, sort of integrated pediatric toolkit. Um, And once you understand some of the homeopathic basics and um, some of the more common herbs that I recommend in the essential oils, and then they get it, they have it down, right? They get it down um, and they can use it for the next time or for the next child. (laughs) So it's so empowering for parents because really what do we do? You know, when I look back at my conventional practice years and years and years ago, you know, if a kid comes in with a cold, you say, well, I guess you could give them a little Sudafed or maybe a little Tylenol, but there's nothing we can do. Come back in two weeks if they still have symptoms because then I'll give you antibiotics for a sinus infection. Yep. Right. In those two weeks, you're like, what, what do I do? My child's suffering. (laughs) So, you know, with these, with, with our natural toolkit, um, we can start from the beginning to get them better, you know, so much more quickly and strengthen them up for the next time around. Um, so my, my wish list, my goal for 2017, I've been working on developing an online course for parents to confidently use various natural medicines for the most common acute uh, conditions that kids face, like fever, vomiting, diarrhea, ear infections, colds and coughs. Um, because that way, even if you don't have a holistic pediatrician near you, you can take that and, and go to Whole Foods or go to your you know health food store, or order on Amazon, Amazon, all of the things that you need to really take care of your family at home. That's great. Now, probiotics, are you cycling on or off of these for children, or are you basically keeping them on this? Because I've heard many theories about once you seed, you're done. Once you run a cycle of three months or six weeks, I mean, you, you hear so many differing opinions. Are you keeping yeah. what, what? What's your take? Well, ideally, we, we would be able to establish a healthy gut microbiome, really change that ecology in the gut so the good stuff wants to stay, the bad stuff stays out, right? Um, unfortunately, it's uh, it's really hard to sustain that healthy gut ecology. Uh, so unless kids are eating super clean and not stressed and you know getting enough sleep, um, it, there are too many forces to really shift that gut back. Now, I don't necessarily recommend probiotics every day for the rest of your life, but you know, Get, taking probiotics when needed, especially you know, if you've taken antibiotics, and then really trying to work in those fermented foods um, to get in probiotics more naturally. Um, you know, drinking your bone broth to get the glutamine to keep your gut healed. Um, making sure that you're getting all of those phytonutrients, right? That rainbow of fruits and vegetables just to give all of the minerals and the vitamins that your gut needs to stay healthy. And if we can do that, then we don't necessarily have to take a probiotic supplement every day. Now, if your child um, and you as a family find it really difficult not to have that, you know, weekly soda, you know, when you go out to eat or, um, uh, it's just a super stressful time in the household and, and you don't see that that stress is going to end, um, in the near future. Taking probiotics, uh, is really important, you know, that just to speak about that psychological stress, I mean, that psychological stress that we're all under, but especially our children is, is really one of the biggest forces I think in disrupting our gut microbiome, but also maintaining a disrupted gut microbiome because you can go through the whole, you know, kind of gut rebalancing five R functional medicine program. But if you really don't teach your child how to manage their stress, become more mindful, learn meditation in whatever way that they can, um, you're not going to have sort of ultimate healing. And this is for adults and kids, right? We need that, that, that kind of emotional, the psycho-emotional spiritual peace to keep our bodies healthy once we've gone through the steps to healing it. So let me ask you this. I know we're running out of time. Did you learn anything new at the conference? I know sometimes you go to health conferences, functional medicine conferences, you get back and you feel like it was great. It was a good refresher, but it was a lot of rah, 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 you know, preaching to the choir and just motivating you, which is awesome. But were there any new takeaways, things that you came back on the plane and you're thinking, wow, that was pretty damn spectacular? Well, you know, I have to say, um, you're right. You know, many conferences, they're, they're, they become more of a venue to catch up with, with 
the friends that you see once you're at conferences, right? (laughs) And not a lot of necessarily new or exciting information. But I will say that this conference, it really did blow my mind. It was probably the best IFM, which is the Institute for Functional Medicine, the IFM conference that, um, or I should say one of the best that I've been to. I always look forward to the IFM conferences. um, But, um, you know, some of them are clearly better than others. And this was the the title of the whole conference was called the dynamic brain revealing the potential of neuroplasticity to reverse neurodegeneration. And, you know, a lot of the discussion was around Alzheimer's, but so many applications to kids. And we know that kids' brains are more, quote, plastic, right, that they can mold and remodel. But what was fascinating was all of the data on just how plastic our brains are, even after um, a traumatic brain injury or a stroke um, or, um, you know, a devastating autoimmune infection like PANDAS or PANS. Um, no matter what age you are, some of the videos that they showed of these, these patients, you know, young and old, um, recovering their function was just unbelievable. So that was so inspiring. And to know for me as a pediatrician that, you know, our kids' brains are even more plastic, you know, there's, there's the, it's limitless really how much we can do to help our kids. We just need to figure out how we need to figure out all the tools. And that's what functional medicine is helping us with. And unfortunately we don't have all the answers yet, but, but we're getting there. We're getting so much closer. Um, and then the second piece that I am really going to drive home to all of my kids, especially the kids I see with depression and anxiety is, uh, that the number one intervention is exercise daily exercise you know, whether it's yoga or whether it's going for a run, but that was the number one intervention that helped reduce symptoms of depression and anxiety, you know, much more than any, any other supplement or, um, or medication. So that, you know, we know the importance of exercise, but that really drove home how much I need to prescribe exercise, um, just as much as I prescribe various nutritional supplements or dietary changes. That's excellent. Well, so all the kids out there that are addicted to their video games, my little yes. my little brother being one of him. Every time I see him, though, I do get him outside. We go hiking, or we play frisbee, or I take him on a mountain bike. We try to do something intense, and it does make a huge difference. So I've I've seen it firsthand, and I've experienced it firsthand. I mean, for me, going through college, one of the biggest therapies I implemented was fixing my gut and getting rid of IBS. But two was getting an exercise routine in place. You know, I got real. That's right. I got real into bodybuilding for a time. I was on the track team in school, so I still had a, a, a love and affection for sprinting. And to this day, I, I think it's one of the most therapeutic things I do, which is, and it's free. That's the th- that's right. That's the thing about it. It's free. Unless you're paying for a gym membership and then you're going to stand on a treadmill and get exposed to EMF and stand under <laughs> fluorescent lighting. And I'm sure you've seen the research about the uh, massive amount of antibiotic-resistant bugs that pick, people pick up from workout equipment. So oh, I, yeah. I'm not a huge yep. proponent of gyms. <laughs> well, I'll tell you before before we got on the line this morning, you know, I rushed out the door, didn't get in my morning um, exercise. So I just in my office right before we got on Skype, I did 50 um, jumping jacks and I did 10 sun salutations <laughs> <That's great. laughs> just to just to get my brain ready. Right. So, so important. And that's really where, you know, we as parents, right, you have a daughter and I have two young kids. We need to model how important exercise is just as we, you know, encourage them to eat their fruits and vegetables and we buy organic foods and we try to limit their TV and their media exposure, showing them how important daily exercise is, or at least, you know, three to five times a week. I, I guess it that sometimes it doesn't happen every day but we need to show our kids that that is just as as important as the food we're choosing to eat right and so so i think that you know for families um you got to make exercise a family affair too and use that opportunity on the weekends to go for that family bike ride or go for that family hike um, because the whole family will get healthier and you're going to instill those same habits in your kids when they're teenagers and when they go on to be young adults and adults and, and you don't really have as much or you don't have any control <laughs> over what sure. they're doing anymore, right? So it's instilling those good habits at an early age that makes a huge difference even if they stray a little bit in middle school or high school. They'll come back to it because those are the foundations that you set when they were young. Yep. I love it. I love it. Well, anything else that you wanted to mention? Any other last words of wisdom or pieces of advice for people? Well, I guess, you know, what I would say for parents is if you have a sick child, 
um, no matter what's going on with them, whether it's um, eczema or asthma, or they are suffering from anxiety or an autoimmune illness, I, I just want parents to know that there is hope. There, there's so much hope when you take this functional medicine integrative approach um, to healing your kids. And it's, you know, you take it one step at a time, but your kids can get better. Um, you can look at various websites like the IFM website to find a practitioner near you uh, to start the process, work with you, Evan, right? Um, you know, we often think about functional medicine for adults and, you know, the applications to kids are, are huge. And um, having that hope that your kids can get better, you start with the gut and you move on up and your kids can get healed. Um, you know, can you completely reverse their autoimmune illnesses? Many times, yes. Sometimes no, but you will for sure have them thriving right to their fullest potential and get them much healthier than when you started. So don't lose hope. Um, you know that's that's one of the biggest reasons why I started my my holistic pediatric blog because I know that you know around the country around the world there's not a lot of access to functional medicine practitioners and pediatricians who can help. Parents and families who just want to make sure they're doing things safely. So I'm hoping that I can provide more information um, in the years to come, so that parents can at least take that first step if they don't have someone near them. Totally love it. Well, I'd love to have you back on. This is always fun, and there's no fear around this conversation. I mean, you know, uh, my wife and I, when we were searching around for a more functional pediatrician, we were faced with so much fear. And a, a lot of people that were fear mongering us. It's not necessarily yes. we were we were fearful. We got fear mongered. We had people uh, tell us, are, "Are you scared of pertussis? Because you should be." I mean, we we've heard all sorts of, of crazy yeah. things, and it's just unnecessary. And so I That's really right. I really appreciate your grounded approach to this whole thing. It definitely makes it much easier when you remove that emotion from the equation. Absolutely. Well, how can people yes. how can people stalk you and study your work <laughs> and all of that information? How can we learn more about you? Where should we go? Well, the first place would be my blog, Healthy Kids, Happy Kids, and that's just www.healthykidshappykids.com. Um, the second place would be um, on, on the Healthy Kids, Happy Kids Facebook page, and you can link to that from my um, my website, from the blog site, because there I actually do post. I try to post daily, but it usually ends up being a few times a week. Some of the latest articles on holistic pediatric health topics, um, which you know uh, can be fascinating. I mean, that um, I posted a couple of months ago the uh, research that found that autistic kids who received fecal transplants, many of them could reverse a significant number of their autistic symptoms. I mean, that's huge, right? And that's you know I'm, I don't want to inundate people with newsletters every day. So that's, you know, my Facebook page is probably the best resource for up-to-date um, integrative pediatric news. Um, and so those are probably the two places that I would recommend going. The, our practice is here in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and I do have another great pediatrician who works with me. Unfortunately, I get parents asking if I do virtual consultations. For, uh, for patients, I do need to see patients, at least for the first visit in person. And then we can do consultations by phone or by Skype um, subsequently. Uh, but but that I know is not feasible for many. So that's why I think the blog would be the best place to go for most people. Cool, cool. And you're, I, I wasn't aware of this until maybe a few months ago, but you're basically in Tick Central over there in San Francisco. Apparently, there's tons of ticks over there. Is that true? We, it, it's true. And you know, I, I literally just today, it's it's June 5, right? So just today, um, I'm publishing a very long article on what to do if your kid gets bitten by a tick. Because this, right now, in California, we had tons of rains in Northern California this winter. It's been one of our wettest years. And so it is already... Um, uh, you know, huge tick season. I mean, they're calling it a banner year for ticks. Um, and so, you know, I don't want people to be afraid to go out on hikes and get out in nature because that's so important for you and your, your family and your mental health. But I do want families to be very cautious 
and mindful of ticks, aware of the problems and the infections that ticks can carry and how to prevent tick bites and what to do if you actually do get a tick bite because that's one of the most frightening things that can happen to find a tick you know, in your child. I mean, I've, my daughter's already had two tick bites and my son has had one tick bite. And I, you know, that, that feeling of horror (laughs) that kind of sets in your, in your belly. I mean, just, and like the heebie jeebies and just, oh, you just want to scream. right? So I, you know, I I want parents to have really good information on what to do this season and moving forward, because unfortunately Lyme in kids is a huge problem that is being um, missed. Uh, And so if we can catch those ticks before they can transmit any Thing, then, then um, we can keep our kids healthy or not have run into problems with pans and chronic Lyme disease. Right. Well, not only is it missed, it's it's laughed at if you suggest yes. that that's an issue as well. Oh, oh my gosh, Evan, we could go on and on I about know. that. Well, well, that just well, infuriates me. <laughs> let's plan to do another show on it, but I'll tell you what I've done for ticks. And if you do, if you have an extra minute to share what, what you're going to suggest, sure. and obviously I want you to send me the, the article so I can link to it. But um, what I've done, because I've had several tick bites this year already, my wife has as well, none on the mm-hmm. baby, fortunately. I've pulled off probably coming up on 10 ticks so far. Now only one of them, only one of them was attached so far. And you want to guess where it was. It was in between my pinky toe and my fourth toe. So who would have thought to even look in between your toes, but that's right. He was in there and my wife had one on her leg. And what we did was with the help of Steven Buhner, he's got a lot of great Lyme protocols, but what he suggests is using andrographis along with green clay and you mix the andrographis and clay together to form a paste, and you put it on the tick bite, and apparently that helps to prevent infection. And so we put it on my wife, and it sucked up and kind of dried up that area right where the bite was. So fingers crossed, and then we're also doing daily supplementation of three grams of astragalus for for both of us. Yeah, I do write um, Buner's uh, protocol there as well. Um, I think the biggest thing is just prevention, right? I mean, you got to if you can, like you've done, find those ticks before they even take a bite. That's that's the most helpful. Yeah. Um, and then using, you know, I don't recommend DEET at all. It's so toxic. Oh. So using, you know, these really good essential oil blends that have. Um, things like rose geranium and lemon eucalyptus um, that have been shown to be effective in uh, repelling ticks. Um, so there are a few different um, uh, uh, tick repellents that, uh, that I recommend on the, the, uh, the um, blog post. One of them is Dr. Fedorenko's. Um, Badger is really easy to find. So I use Badger a lot. I use one called Nature's Cloak on my kids. Um, but you got to use it Frequently, right? With essential oils, if you stop smelling it, then that tick isn't going to smell it. <laughs> so, you know, if you're going on a five-hour hike, I mean, I would reapply every hour, right? It's you can put it all over your skin, put it on your clothes, right? It's c- completely non-toxic to put everywhere behind your neck, right? I mean, the, where I found the ticks on my kids, one was actually right in my daughter's um, ear, just on the top of her earlobe. Um, it looked like a speck of dirt. I just went to flick it away and it didn't move and I knew immediately what it was. Oh, God. Um, That's the, the worst the tick- feeling. Is that not the worst yep. feeling? I can't think of anything worse, yeah. to be honest. I, I, I think you're right, Evan. <laughs> it's terrible. So you got yeah. it out and then and then what? And then what you Well, do? so then I got it out and back this was actually um, years ago when I didn't really know what I was doing. So um, but what I did immediately was I just put on some tea tree oil, right? Washed it with warm soap and water, put on some tea tree oil. Um, I did send the tick off for testing. Unfortunately, the tests take a few weeks to get back, some of the more reliable ones. So that doesn't really help you. Um, and for my daughter at that point, I did put on antibiotics. I just said to myself, you know what? If I don't um, do anything and just wait and watch and she develops symptoms of Lyme, I'm going to be kicking myself. And I would rather give her, you know, loads and loads of probiotics and glutamine to counter the effects of the, um, of the antibiotics and give her, you know, tons and tons of real pickles and miso soup, (laughs) you know, to support her. Um, so that's what I did for her. Um, and then for my son, he had a tick right on his, uh, right on his, well, it was literally right by his nipple. I thought, again, I thought it was a little speck of dirt because these things look like poppy seeds, right? They're super tiny. Um, so, and then for him, um, I, I actually did some herbs, some, uh, BLT herbs and some of the beyond balance herbs. So there's lots of different approaches, but bottom line, you got to do something, right? I don't recommend just waiting and watching until you develop Lyme symptoms, because if you can treat, um, 
early on prophylactically, I, I do believe you can prevent the majority of Lyme cases, not all. I mean, I, you know, I had a child who I believe, and we believe, the parents believe that the tick was probably just in for maybe a couple of hours, and she developed acute Lyme disease. Seriously? Yes. So you said BLT right. herbs. You're saying you would have used that if you had a recent bite. What is that? Oh, it's, um, gosh, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the company, but Research Nutritionals carries it. Okay. Uh, it it's an herbal, it's a, you know, it's got a, many different herbs in it to treat Lyme. And then Beyond Balance has some great um, herbal formulas that are very potent for Lyme and its co-infections. Ah, Beyond Balance. Mm-hmm. Right, because the ticks don't just carry Lyme. We're, we're so obsessed with Lyme. But, you know, I've had kids who it's not Lyme, but it's Bartonella or Berbesia that are huge problems for them. Um, so we want to make sure that we're aware of all of these other infections that ticks can carry as well. Now, which specific formula are you talking about for the Beyond Balance? I know there's so many. They have, so for Lyme, they have the MCBB1 and BB2. Oh, BB1, Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife had mycoplasma pneumonia. She had terrible joint pain. Luckily, she was negative yep. for negative on all the Lyme panels, and we just kind of treated her like she had Lyme anyway. And yep. she she's back to normal. So, yeah. Well, mycoplasma. You know, I'm finding that more and more in my kids with pans, both IgG and IgM titers that are very elevated. You know, in my autistic kids, if you have a child with autism and they haven't had a full workup for it in chronic infections. They need to because that can be a big factor for many of our kids with autism. Not all of them, but for many of them. Wow, that's mind-blowing. Well, we've got so much more to talk about. We'll have to wrap it up for today, though. It's a blast chatting with you. I very, yeah, very much enjoyed a lot of it. Fun. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for having me on the show, Evan. Well, take good care, and hopefully we'll chat later this year. Yes, perfect. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Be sure to tune in next week. I've got another fun episode coming right up. In the meantime, check out my store, AuraRoots.com. That's the new line with the brain oils I mentioned in the beginning. The vagal tone, the anxiety release, the brain to flame, all of these apply to anyone. These should all be in your toolkit. I don't know about you, but I have a holistic medicine toolkit where conventional medicine toolkits going to consist of ibuprofen and uh, antibiotics and all sorts of crazy stuff. Mine consists of these brain oils, other essential oil types. I've got some natural bug spray. I've got colloidal silver. I've still got the bandages and wraps and such, but you know, I, I like the the idea of having kind of a prepper mentality and being prepared for things that happen, but holistically. So check out those brain oils from Mio Energetics. Those are on my website. Aura, A-U-R-A, Roots, with an S, AuraRoots.com, and you can get those at a discounted rate currently. Also, you can always schedule that consult with me. I call it a free consult now. I'm charging one whopping dollar. You know why? Because I had several people this past week where I had clients I had to push back. You know, I've been booked out almost a month, and I had to push people further and further back in terms of the timeline to make room for the free calls. And then I call some people, they don't answer, they don't call back, they don't respond to uh, my staff's emails, and so therefore that time just goes wasted. So now it's $1. So therefore people are going to take it a little bit more serious than putting a fake credit card number on there. I require a, a credit card number to book the free calls because a lot of people just don't answer the phone if they're not accountable. So now you actually have to pay $1 so we know it's a real credit card. All right, that's it. You can schedule that consult with me, evanbrand.com. Aura Roots is the store, and I'll talk with you next week. Bye-bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss a girl and I never please her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible clothes. Why I'm in a tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't want to see her by her eyes out, girl. Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting Let me be the one that